I think the biggest factor in mistaken uh, menu pricing is not knowing the numbers. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Dennis Knows Food podcast. I'm your host, Luke Labrie, and joining me today, Samantha Hammond and Josh Henderson. Say hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. <laughs> Good afternoon, guys. Now, Josh is an account executive with Dennis, and he's been with us for 21 years. That's an impressive number, Josh. Yes, it's definitely been uh, you know, a pretty exciting uh, two decades in uh, food service. That's awesome. Now, you did a presentation for our sales team not too long ago discussing menu costing and profitability on menus, and I just wanted to bring you in uh, so that we could get this as a podcast and share it with our customers and the food service audience at large. Because um, your honestly, your advice was eye-opening to see how we could evaluate profitability at uh, at a restaurant. So I'm going to dive right in. I've got some questions. Sam has some questions, and if you have any additional thoughts, feel free to share them. But we're gonna we're gonna grill you for a few minutes. All right, let's do it. Can you summarize the process of evaluating menu pricing for profitability in a restaurant? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you would uh, take you know every item that you sell on your menu to your customers and you would break down uh, the food portion and the cost of that portion that goes into uh, the menu price, any containers, napkins, all ingredients involved in that specific item you would use and when you have that information then you can make decisions um, on what you want to you know, charge for the item. Do you take into consideration workers? The labor factor um, is has kind of been a moving target over, especially the last couple of years. With uh, the old, I think the you know the old number used to be twenty one percent is where you know most places wanted to target their labor costs. Obviously, with uh, you know rising uh, food cost inflation. Um, it's a little harder to, to nail that uh, 21% number, but it still definitely uh, factors into the equation. But not when I'm talk when I'm discussing food costing and menu pricing with a customer, we don't uh, labor is a kind of a separate bucket that they would uh, use and evaluate. Uh, it ties together, but it's a it's a separate evaluation. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, on the same lines, I was thinking the other day, utilities and those types of costs, the overhead costs, still separate part of the equation. It is, and like like labor and uh, food, those have all uh, you know risen the last couple of years, and it's just made uh, made the importance of food costing the menu and achieving you know that sweet spot where you give uh, you make what you need to and give the customers a good value, even more important than ever. How important is it for restaurant owners to regularly review their and adjust their menu prices? So I'll kind of take it in in two two pieces. So regularly monitor and be aware of the food cost and potential changes, extremely important. Uh, you know, great example, uh, eggs. You know, a year ago, eggs were... $2 a dozen. They're over $5 a dozen now. So that breakfast sandwich that they were selling for $3.99, you know, the eggs used to be a, a 12 or 15 cent ingredient. It is now a 50, upwards of 60 cent ingredient. So that really changes that uh, 
that uh, recipe or that uh, item significantly. So they really need to be aware of uh, changing prices and also be willing to move things that they need to immediately. You know, the old way of food costing, a lot of people would only do it once a year. Some of the some of the more, you know, some of the operators that were more on top of it would do it twice a year. I think that those, you know, kind of old ways of doing it um, really kind of need to go out the window. It's uh, maybe major overhauls uh, two to three times a year uh, with seasonality. But if a situation like eggs or any item that spikes up and it's not going to come back down in the near future, I would think, you know, most operators would want to uh, act on that immediately. It's often been said at some of the um, trainings that I've attended over the years that, you know, it's it, food, you know, the restaurant business, the C-store business, it's not a extremely high profit per dollar business. So we're talking about, you know, even if you do things right, you take a dollar, if you're left over with, you know, 10, 12, 15 cents, you're doing a fantastic job. So it's it's a narrow margin for success and not doing too well. If if somebody, if a restaurant owner was going to start going to make the decision to change their menu prices, where do they start? And should they change every single item or should they pick and choose? I over the years have been a kind of a proponent of typically not changing all of the items. Um, some customers do, they just take a flat percentage and go up and, uh, you know, that can work for them. But uh, I would always, after getting your data, after looking at all your items closely and making sure you see where they are, I would always advise tackling the, the items that are, that need the most work you know, first. So, you know, there's something we used to talk about uh, called the rule of thirds. You know, you would change 33% of your menu items three times a year until you got through all of them, uh, which is still not a bad idea. But with all these changing prices uh, and some of these things spiking, um, you know, just making sure that, you know, anything that is that they're paying more for, that they're getting what they need to on the sell end for it. Hmm. So prioritizing it after doing, you know, your uh, menu cost analysis. Mm -hmm. Then they have to take into consideration reprinting their menus every time. So if they're changing it three times a year, that's three times that they're going to have to change their menu. Yes. Um, you know, for some, it is going to be a menu reprint. Uh, a lot of customers have kind of... Uh, taken that onto themselves to print the menus and they've gotten good at that because of, you know, it's not a super high cost typically for for the menus when you've had it designed by a professional like creative or or someone that uh, changing prices and a description and removing an item isn't really all that uh, costly. We, you can take, a, you know, a 150, 200 uh menu establishment and they can get some price changes done and maybe add one item take one item out for you know probably right around 100 bucks it's really not that's not too bad. incredibly costly yeah i'm not super uh you know in tune with it but the qr code menu stuff that's kind of coming down the road is or been coming out is interesting and menu boards for c stores and even some restaurants i guess could utilize them but those are uh, fairly uh, easy to change and adapt with new uh, menu costing, and uh, it's not very costly to the to the end user. 
Especially digital menu boards. Yes, digital menu boards, correct. Yep, yep, definitely. Can you discuss some of the key factors that should be considered when determining menu prices? You're going to have to do all your calculations every time. I mean, that you have to start from a known number, and then you can make you know, educated and, and good decisions based on that number. Um, you know, typically, uh, the lower cost it is on your menu, the more of a markup it needs to have to make it a viable item, especially for a restaurant. I mean, if you've got, uh, you know, a sit-down restaurant that does breakfast, uh, typically, you know, those aren't high dollar items. So, you know, if you've got something that's three dollars on that menu and someone can sit down and get a cup of coffee and that and tie up a booth and staff and everything. So, you know, the the lower it is, really the higher the percentage of markup needs to be so that you're actually making those dollars on the sale. And then conversely, the higher uh, priced items you follow, you know, you would not need to mark them up as much by percentage, but they would typically bring in more dollars to the end user. If your staff is waiting on a table for that that $3 breakfast and that they sit there and refill their coffee several times, they're tying up the wait staff, they're tying up the booth, like you said, and it equates to not a big turn for sale on that table. And then the wait staff doesn't get a big tip because the check isn't going to be that high. So you want to try to avoid those situations. Yes, absolutely. Do you see restaurants striking a balance where they know they can take less margin on a higher-end item because they've built that into a bunch of their lower-end items? Maybe appetizers is a nice one. And just one more piece of that, uh, do you think upselling from the waitstaff point of view to get those additional add-ons helps build that out? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Anytime that you can have your... Uh, you know, in the in the restaurant setting, have your staff, your wait staff, actually selling to the customer versus taking orders. You're going to come out ahead, and you know, at, at the end of the year, at the end of the month, you know, you're going to have more dollars and more sales. So that can be part of of the equation for sure. In the you know the lower cost of an appetizer, if it's a uh, low labor, you know, if say if it's just something that gets put in the fryer later for three minutes, they pop it out, plate it, make it look nice, put a sauce with it. They've got very little labor into that. So they may be able to get away with, you know, only marking it up if it was $3, potentially sell it for six and get away with that versus something that was much more labor intensive uh, and more costly. You said it and I was thinking it. Plating plays a role in increasing that margin. Uh, slapped on a plate versus nicely presented. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, absolutely. It's going to uh, you know boil down to perceived value from the customer. And if it if you have something you know a great tasting item just thrown on a plate, what's the customer going to say? They're going to like it when they when they try it, but it's not going to be really visually appealing. But you could have something that is equally you know, great tasting on a plate that is presented in a way that makes it just kind of engage the customer. And, you know, maybe just some little accents, some sauces, or just the way that it's, you know, uh, put on the plate uh, can give that perceived value to the customer. And saying that, uh, from that's from a restaurant standpoint, from, let's just say, a C-store standpoint, you know, I've seen many times that the packaging that an exact duplicate item gets if the packaging wasn't very nice to begin with 
and they and the you know the owner upgrades the packaging, that item could sell a double what it did prior to that package change. So that's definitely a very important factor would be presentation. Mm. That perceived value is a, is a key point. It's got to have that, that Instagram appeal, right? You want to see people taking out their cameras and taking pictures of your food once it arrives at the table. Then, you, then you know you did it right. Yes. Yeah, so if you see that, you know you're doing a good job with plating. Yeah. I know when I go to a restaurant and we, we I took the wife out on a date night the other day, we looked at the menu. It's one of our favorite establishments. We know all the dishes. So instead of deciding from what was on the menu, we were looking around at what other people were that's eating. Exactly and what then, I was say. Yes, yeah, that's a, you, people you that's eat you with do. their eyes, mm-hmm. really do. Yeah, I have a customer that has a funny, uh, funny way of describing that because he calls it monkey see monkey do and when you know when one of the servers walks through the dining room with an awesome looking plate they will get five orders for that exact same dish in the next 10 minutes so it's it's very uh it's definitely exists Mm -hmm. yeah it would almost be worth it right if you have a high margin item say a dessert and you know the dining room is packed to bring a free dessert out to one of your, uh, maybe your regular customers that you know, hey, this one's on the house, thanks for coming in so often, just for the sole purpose of walking that thing by all the other customers to elicit a sale. That that one free one is going to gain eight, nine, ten paid ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the same can be said for, you know, if you're trying to get an appetizer going, something new, you know, just bring out a little, a little two-piece you know, sample plate mm-hmm. to some of your, you know, your regulars that are in there and say, hey, I just wanted to get your opinion on this. We're thinking about, you know, putting it on for a while. And, you know, you have that other people see it. And then you also have the goodwill that, you know, the customer, the good customer, the regular customer, you're giving them a little something extra. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way with uh, customers for sure. That's a great idea. I really like that. Anything that, you know, you try that's, you know, there's no crazy idea there's no something that's not if because you just never know what's going to click with with customers and you know it's always worth making the effort to try something like that because the worst thing it can do is not work very well and you're no you know you haven't lost anything <laughs> yeah sometimes they're paying for the experience yes as well as the food if they, yep. get, a, if they get a good experience absolutely yeah what about like having specials on certain nights? I know mm. there are certain nights that aren't as busy as others. How do you think restaurant owners should go about that? Specials, I think, are so. There, I'm going to kind of talk about it in a couple of different ways. So the 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 Monday night, you know, we'll say you know steak and cheese, and you may actually, uh, if it's one of your slower nights, say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are the slowest nights in an establishment. Mm-hmm. If you want to put a you know, have some one or two items that are on special uh, every week, same night. Okay, so people get in that habit of knowing that Monday night is steak and cheese or cheeseburger night or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That can be definitely uh, valuable on those slower nights. And also, uh, operators, I think, should consider bundling on those nights too. So, you know, do, uh, we'll say, you know, like a cheeseburger, onion rings, and you know, some kind of dessert, 
and that all for a set price. So instead of somebody just coming in and getting a sandwich or getting you know something else, they their ring is going to go up because they purchased those three items together. You do discount it a little bit to give the customer that value that they you know that makes them that pushes them to to make that purchase. But that uh, you know so that week that you know Monday Tuesday Wednesday continuing through a season special can be a great idea. Um, especially with like comfort foods, uh, you know, that people like during the winter, yep. uh, which tends to be kind of the slower period for most of our customers. The next uh, part of the question would be blackboard specialing. I think that that is, you know, absolutely critical to most establishments to utilize all of the ingredients they're purchasing. And if they, like this past uh, Monday, Monday, because of the sleet storm, the ice storm was a lost day for most of uh, most of my customers. A lot of them received an order on Monday. So they lost that whole day that they were gonna sell some of that product. So now they may need to get a little bit creative to help move those items that were, you know, temperature and time sensitive that are perishable so they can move them out and, you know, whichever, if say they bought 10 cases of haddock, you know, well, and right now they only have a haddock sandwich and a haddock dinner on. They may want to put, you know, some fish tacos, you know, just anything, a, a haddock chowder, anything to help move those items out so they are not throwing away any of the products. If you have too much haddock, Chef Tim has a great baked haddock recipe that just went up on the website. Just wanted to put that out there. Excellent. I'll be uh, plug, checking plug. that out. Yes. <laughs> This is maybe a little bit of a loaded question, uh, take your time answering, but could you provide some examples of successful uh, menu pricing strategies that you've seen? A very high volume customer can, even though their overhead is, is higher, they can gain dollars back and make extra money much faster uh, than someone that is a lower volume seller, store, or restaurant. So a 50 cent change, you know, on 20 items at a place that does a hundred of those items a week can bring in a lot more money than even a $1 bump up on someone that only does 30, you know, covers of a certain item a week. So you really need to be aware of how much of an item you're selling and make those decisions based off that. Um, you know, that's one place that high volume restaurants or high volume stores have a really, really big leg up because those little changes can add up to big dollars at the end of the year. So one one key strategy then would be to, to look at the books and see what you're moving the most of and maybe tack on that 25 cents, that 50 cents and to start incurring that profit. Absolutely, you know, like breakfast places. Um, I've always had this discussion with them and some of them have done it to some great uh, results. You could, if, if you're in that old school, you know, $1.50 bottomless cup of coffee, if you move that up to $1.99 and you do, you know, 100 breakfast that day, almost all 100 of them are going to get coffee. So that's $50 in one day. Mm. You know, and people, there's a range that they'll pay for coffee. And, you know, I don't think, you know, just under $2 is too high. But, you know, so if they do that $50, 
and they're open seven days a week, I mean, that's $350 a week just from changing something 50 cents, and that's one item. So you do look at those items that people tend to get, you know, a lot on that menu, and little changes to those can go a long way to the bottom line at the end of the year. Hmm. And definitely, you know, end users want to evaluate. Most of them have POS systems. Um, you know, you want to look, and, and things that are not moving, things that you only sell maybe 20 of a week or 15. You should, if you're not using those same ingredients and something else, strongly consider probably, uh, you, can, you can take it off the menu. You don't, it doesn't have to die forever, but maybe bring it back on that special, you know, and run it as a weekly special so that, you know, your customers, your 15 customers that did love it can still get it, but you're not stocking it like you used to as far as, uh, you know, in the cool of the freezer or dry storage. Yeah. That's a good point. Let's say that it is a high-profit item for the restaurant, but the operator's scratching their head wondering why we're not moving more of this. Coming at it from a design point of view, I believe restaurant menu design plays a role in the actual placement of where that item is, the size of it, drawing attention to it. Can you talk a little bit about how the menu design factors into moving a uh, quantity? Yes, absolutely. So there is a, a definite... Uh, you know, proven science to how people look at different types of menus, whether it be, you know, a one-page front and back, a two-page, a trifold, and, you know, the information uh, is readily available online, or you can get with your account uh, executive from Dennis, and they can help you find that menu that works best for you. And, you know, it's going to be highlighting a very profitable uh, item, that is easy on the kitchen. You know, if you have three or four of those, you're going to want to, you know, highlight that with a different shaded kind of a box to draw people's attention to it. And you kind of want to hide some of your other items that, I mean, they're not, they're on the menu for a reason, but if they're, if they're laborious, if the, you know, the ingredients are really expensive, you want to put those in a place where that one, you know, that item doesn't move quite as much. Mm. So there's definitely um, a science to menu design, and it's worth uh, definitely worth looking into for uh, any operator to check that out. So can you touch a little bit about how technology can help maybe level the playing field or provide opportunities to evaluate menu pricing? Yeah, absolutely. So whenever I'm working with uh, a newer customer that I haven't done menu costing with in the past, um, my first uh, question to them is, you know, can we get a printout off your POS system, you know, of your sales ranked by dollars and also number of sales? And that data can be very helpful in um, determining which items we're going to look at first. Because the top 10 items that they're selling in both dollars and number of times it gets run through, those are going to be the ones that are affecting their business the most. And I'll give an example of something that happened to one of my customers a few years ago. Um, it was a seasonal seafood place, had one of the best years they had ever had sales-wise. And at the end of the season, he ran his numbers. And it was one of the worst profitability years he had ever had. And he didn't, he was 
quite taken aback by it. They had worked very hard and uh, moved a lot of product and made a lot of great food. And there wasn't a lot of money to put in the bank. And I, he asked me to help him dig into what might have happened. And we started analyzing his menu item by item and found that he was selling fish and chips. It was his number one seller. And he was only making about $2 every time he sold it. And that was the entire, that was like 80% of the reason that he didn't make what he should have that year. And that, that customer, that has never happened again. Not only does he monitor, he monitors prices weekly now and menu costs, his, his menu sell price weekly. That left that big of an impression because he spent a whole summer working for not very much money. Mm. That's a heartbreaker. It was, but for him, you know, it, it'll never happen again. Yep. And so that's why I always, you got to look at customers are smart. If, the, if you're offering a good value, they're going to find it. Yep. And uh, they found his fish and chips and... Yeah, so that was a tough one. That brings us back right to the marketing side of things. If you know that's your number one seller, you know you don't have to say world's best fish and chips, but you can say this is our you know our number one item. Same with the wait staff; everybody loves this. And if it, if he was doing nine ninety five right, it should be fourteen ninety five all day long. Absolutely, it's your most popular item. It's what people are coming to that's you right. for. The you know the flash and sign on the outside that fish and chips served here. They're coming in there for that. You can charge accordingly for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And yeah. sometimes, if it, it, let's say you're concerned and you're looking at it and you're saying, "Okay, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable bumping my margin up that high," but maybe there's a simple change, and this is where your dentist account exec can help you. But maybe a change of the fry or the plating or whatever, just that little change that doesn't increase your margin that much, but increases the perception is all you really need to to get that margin that you really need. Yeah, absolutely. I one of the things that uh, my youngest son and I—he's uh, t- just turned thirteen—but we've been watching a, a ton of Kitchen Nightmares together lately, and we both really enjoy it. And um, I remember one episode where uh, you know Gordon Ramsay—the you should have seen the the portion size and the plates that this restaurant was giving. I mean, it was literally everyone that left there left with a very full takeout box with them. Mm. And, you know, Gordon's suggestion to the customer was, hey, you know, let's let's shrink that plate down. I think it might have been maybe a nine or a nine and a half inch plate. Fill it with some, you know, really good fresh food. And, you know, you're not giving away two meals for the price of one. Mm. So it's things like that, you know, that little bit smaller plate to help, you know, make the dish look better packaging with C stores, you know, making it so that it fits into the packaging. So like you can put eight ounces of, uh, you know, chicken fingers in a package that's pretty full. It looks full. And that eight ounces, wow, look what I'm getting for my, you know, five, six dollars. If you put it in an oversized package and it's rattling around in there, the customer's going to say, holy crap, I'm not getting much for my five or six dollars. So... So it's perception. It really all yep. falls back to perception. Yep. That's a genius comment, though, about the plate size. That's a Gordon Ramsay thing. Yes. But but you, you wouldn't think about that. Like, the average person might say, these are my plates. This is what I got to work with, you know? And 
Yeah. Wow. That's right. That's a that's a big one. A little bit smaller plate that's really full. Yeah. You know, is going to look better than a twelve inch plate that's got an inch and a half of room around it. So it's just you know that whole visual um, marketing. Yeah. You know, that's huge. That's reception. Huge. Wow. Good comment there. Um, thank you, Gordon. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Gordon. <laughs> What are some common mistakes restaurants make, or you've seen restaurant operators make when it comes to menu pricing and profitability, and how can they be avoided? I think the biggest factor in mistaken food uh, menu cup pricing is not knowing the numbers. Hmm. I even seasoned, um, you know, long-standing operators. Um, it's just it's it is a lot to kind of keep track of. And I think it's, you know, our job as account executives, you know, to help them and kind of point out and kind of nudge them to, hey, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at that. And we should actually, you know, be kind of doing that on our own and then you just bring it to their attention and then they can go through the exercise. But not, you can't make uh, a decision without the data, mm-hmm. you know, because you're just guessing. Why, why do you think that is that they're not looking at the numbers as often as they should? I believe that with uh, what's been going on the last you know year and a half or two, that more and more owners are spending so much time working in the business to keep things going that they can't step back and work on the business like they really hopefully would be able to when the you know labor market was a little better. So I would say tough labor market is really driving owners to put in a lot of hours behind the line in the day-to-day uh, business and not allowing them to step back and look at the big picture. So that's where, you know, that we can come in and try to help you know, just push that that needle a little bit on, you know, and especially if we know that there's a, a certain segment of product that is, you know, really up. If let's just say chicken went back to $160 a case, you know, let's let's make sure all your chicken dishes are still where they need to be. Mm. They, they might be, but they might not be. So until you look, you, you just won't know. Mm. I will say without, with zero hesitation, food costing, is my favorite, the most, the favorite thing that I do in my job. And I will definitely help any customer that uh, is willing to accept it or asks for it. And the reason that I, that it's my favorite uh, thing to do is A, I just, I like data, I like numbers, and it's kind of interesting to me. But B, I know that I'm making a difference in that customer's business and in their life because I'm helping them make decisions at the end of the year, they're going to make a difference between them making, you know, a good profit, you know, not a good profit or maybe no profit, unfortunately. So it's just, you know, it's it's satisfying to know that you're actually making a difference with a customer and and helping them actually achieve something. Mm. You know, I just, it's part of the job as a, you know, a sales account executive, and it's something that we've been trained here at Dennis over the years to do, and um, it just helps build those relationships with the customers. Anyone can sell the products. Um, it's the extras, you know, and the, the old saying that, uh, you know, me and some of my uh, coworkers have had in the past is, you know, you, you can't save your way to success because if you could, there'd be a lot more successful mm-hmm. restaurants. So you actually have to make that money through what you sell, marking it up and charging appropriately. So um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty fun stuff. Josh Henderson, we really appreciate your time. This has been insightful and and educating. And I know there's a lot of operators out there that are going to enjoy this information. And you're probably going to get emails and phone calls, even if they're not your customers, to have them come look at your menu. I know it doesn't translate on audio, but you did a great presentation with an equation the other day. Um, We're going to get you over on video if you've got time to do that equation so we can share that out as well. For more news and information on menu costing, QR codes, menu profitability and design, check us out online at www.dennisfoodservice.com. Note the new domain name and name change. We are now Dennis Food Service. As always, I'm your host, Luke Labrie. That's gonna do it for us and this episode of Dennis Knows Food. Thank you again, Samantha and Josh. Thank you. Yes, it was uh, it was fun uh, fun being here. Thank you. Awesome. Josh, fantastic. We really appreciate it.